0: Hello, and welcome into Linux Action News, episode 176, recorded on February 14th, 2021. I'm Chris. And I'm Wes. Hello, Wes. From a very snowy Pacific Northwest, let's do the news.
1: And let's start with this week's storm in a teacup, again, in an attempt to give you a little context to a story you might have seen going around. An Azure customer was outraged after finding himself on the receiving end of an unexpected LinkedIn message from Ubuntu maker Canonical this week. The user, Luca Bongiorni, had spun up an instance of the Linux distro on an Azure corporate subscription in order to test out some new tooling. Shortly afterwards, however, a message turned up from an enterprise development representative at Canonical with the ominous phrase, I saw that you spun up an Ubuntu image on
0: Azure. (laughs) I noticed. (laughs) Yeah, not quite the thing I think the user wanted to see. He went on to say, though, the creepiest thing to him was that it was a direct contact on his private LinkedIn account, which he doesn't mingle with his corporate email address, which means that Canonical either hunted that down, totally possible, it's a standard sales tactic, or Microsoft had somehow linked those things on the back end, reminder Microsoft owns LinkedIn, and just sort of provided that as a value add. He was clearly disturbed by this in part because of how he was contacted. And Microsoft and Canonical have obviously become good chums. They just recently boasted about their one-year anniversary partnership and what a great kumbaya it is. But I don't think this is unique to Microsoft and Canonical. If you look at the terms of service for Azure, there is a little sentence in there that says, quote, if you purchase or use... A marketplace offering, we may share with the publisher of such an offering your contact information and details about the transaction and your usage. And of course, if you go look at
1: Ubuntu's legal details, they've got a whole section talking about their ability to market our products or services to you.
0: Yeah, and even even this guy who was upset, he acknowledges, okay, the the data sharing in some ways is sort of understandable. These are our cloud products, but he says. It should be made clear, and I kind of agree with him. On the Azure Marketplace, it maybe maybe say, when you're just choosing to deploy 1804, maybe mention, hey, by the way, we're going to let Canonical know. Uh, He claims he would not have done the deployment if I had known someone would, quote, stalk me outside of corporate channels, he said. (laughs) He wouldn't have done it. To me, I look at this, Wes, and I think, all right, there's probably more of a middle ground here. I mean, I know Canonical released a statement about it.
1: Yes, they did. They wrote that, as per the Azure terms and conditions... Microsoft shares with Canonical, the publisher of Ubuntu, the contact details of developers launching Ubuntu instances on Azure. These contact details are held in Canonical's CRM in accordance with privacy rules. On February 10th, a new Canonical sales representative contacted one of these developers via LinkedIn with a poor choice of words. In light of this incident, Canonical will be reviewing its sales
0: training and policies. Kind of a A blame the new guy and a training opportunity excuse in there. And I don't I'm not really trying to say they need to be excusing this behavior. I think this is just kind of the reality of a corporate style service like this. You know, I think, Wes, in some ways, it sort of shows us again that we're at that intersection of open source ideals and the business world realities, which we were just at last week as well.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: You know, if this was some sort of um proprietary database perhaps
1: that I'd paid a subscription to and was then launching through the marketplace on Azure, I wouldn't be surprised at all about this. But the fact that it's Ubuntu and Canonical, which we mostly associate with, you know, openness, free software, that's a little bit different. But of course, they are also a business trying to make a bunch of money running Ubuntu on the cloud and they do.
0: Yeah, and in a way you could see there's there's multiple incentives for Microsoft. I mean, clearly The two companies, tighter than ever. Uh, But Microsoft surely extends this to other partners as well. And you could imagine chewing the other foot here. If I was selling a service, I'd want
1: to know too, maybe not even to upsell, just to try to provide you with support and make sure you're having a good
0: experience with the product you're choosing to run. And in a way, sort of say, if you need help, don't come to us. (laughs) You know, it's sort of a preemptive, these are the guys you need to talk to move that they're doing here. And it's, it's also got to be, it's got to, in a way, be a great perk for Canonical to be on the Azure marketplace so Microsoft can use this as a reason to be there because we'll send you sales leads, we'll hand you a sales lead every time somebody deploys your software. That's a pretty big incentive for companies. And I, I kind of don't know what this guy was expecting when you're on a commercial platform like Azure. I get that the the creep factor here is that you were tracked down on LinkedIn. But again, it's just sort of this super boisterous denouncement of Microsoft immediately when the the situation ends up being a lot more nuanced. And I don't want to come on the show and be a Microsoft defender here, but this just seems, again, kind of like just traditional business practices. And in a way, gives us a data point. It gives us a data point why Microsoft doesn't need to buy Canonical here. They can work together and make money and still independently do what each other does best. Yeah, it seems like they're plenty close already. Well, a few items we've been covering on this show are actually landing this week that you probably want to keep an eye out for. If you're a Plasma user, one of those
1: is 5.21, which should release this week. GNOME 40 has gotten a lot of attention lately, and rightly so, but 5.21 looks to be one of the best Plasma releases ever.
0: A couple of just off-the-top-of-my-head features that I'm excited about are the, the new app launcher, improvements to K Runner. you can pin it now. There's a new theme called Breeze Twilight. There's the new Plasma System Monitor app that is really slick. Tons of Wayland improvements, including mixed refresh rate display and other performance improvements, stability improvements that have been packed into 5.21. If, like us, you just can't wait, an easy way to try it out is to grab KDE Neon,
1: which has a stable Ubuntu base, but that fresh, hot plasma goodness. (laughs)
0: I think that's a funny way to put it. And Wes and I are going to try it out, so tune in to Linux Unplugged for our hands-on this week. And just a side note, there's some Kate improvements. That's the text editor in Plasma or one of the text editors. Kate is 20 years old and is more amazing than ever. It's a fantastic open-source software success story where a product doesn't have to make a ton of revenue, but it can get 20 years of development And now when I need a lightweight, super fast native binary that can be a text editor that has markdown syntax support or pretty much any syntax support highlighting you'd want, Kate is my go-to. And some nice features are landing in 5.21. I'm just glad we got you to stop talking about Nano. another item we've been keeping a watch on for you lands this week. That's Linux 5.11. And it is heavy on new features because this is the first stable kernel after the LTS release and also the first major stable kernel of 2021.
1: Included in there is all kinds of interesting features, but let's start in the world of file systems. Something I was happy to see was that the ButterFS file system has a couple new mount options intended to help with the rather unwelcome task of rescuing data off of a corrupted file system this has been something that's been a little tricky sometimes maybe even requiring help from the mailing list if you've got a severely corrupted drive now there'll be a couple of new rescue mount options you can add that will hopefully make things a little bit simpler nice to see that when you're in a tricky situation it's nice to have a few more options to get your data back Another feature that caught my eye was Syscall User Dispatch, which actually we've talked about a little bit before. And that's a new system for intercepting system calls made by some Windows programs under Wine. They basically sidestep a whole bunch of APIs, try to perform Syscalls directly, and it mostly happens in the context of digital rights management, DRM, or anti-cheating schemes. Syscall User Dispatch allows for efficiently redirecting system calls for just a portion of a binary. So you can just sort of hook in the game, just the part that's trying to do the anti-cheat system. And then the system calls get redirected from just going to the underlying system back to Wine so that Wine can handle
0: them properly. I have been looking forward to that. Now, also some hardware support some of us have been looking forward to, lands. Lots of new ARM hardware support. Finally, the support for that failed Ouya Android game console. (laughs) That's shipping. Uh, You ThinkPad users will appreciate the new palm sensor detection support that is being added by Lenovo, and you Dell users are going to like the fact that Dell is exposing some BIOS configuration settings via SysFS to allow manipulating some Dell settings deep down inside via Linux. And while we're in the world of hardware, complete Wi-Fi 6 support lands
1: in 5.11 with Wi-Fi 6e. Yeah, that's some of that fancy 6 gigahertz stuff. Also, if you've got a Ryzen or Epic chip... Well, that should be 5 to 6% faster out of the box with the brand new kernel, which boy, if that isn't a reason to upgrade. No kidding. That's that's like new hardware almost. That's great. Speaking of new hardware, the Intel XE graphics are looking great on Linux 5.11 as well with some nice performance improvements.
0: slash land Go there to get a $100 60-day credit towards a new account. And, of course, support the show. Linode is our cloud hosting provider. All of the JB 3.0 infrastructure runs on Linode. My personal stuff runs on Linode. They started in 2003 as one of the first companies in cloud computing, three years before AWS and the other enterprise providers. So they know how to do this right. They have focused in on a few things and they rock at those things they're still independently owned today and now they're dedicated to offering the best virtualized cloud computing out there if it runs on linux it runs on linode and personally one of the things i love about linode is how many different linux distributions they support the alpines the arch the centos of course some debian releases some fedora releases OpenSUSE, several versions of ubuntu debian and more, but what I really get about them is their passion for Linux. They try things nobody else is doing. And you know they have one click application deployments. And you may even know they have a one click WordPress deployment. But what you might not know about is something a little different that they have in their marketplace. It's called Open Light Speed WordPress. This is the WordPress I deploy. It's blazing fast. The web server is the cache, it's the Open Light Speed project with PHP, MySQL, and WordPress all integrated into their cache. It gives you metrics and crazy fast performance, and you combine that with Linode's object storage, and you will have the fastest WordPress website you have ever used. And there's a lot of functionality with WordPress. The only penalty is usually that performance, and you can solve that with this stack. I'll have a link to that in the show notes so you can see what I've been talking about. That's the one I've used for some of my personal projects, and it's the one I would use for JB today. But of course, they have GPU compute, object storage, like I mentioned, and then a cloud dashboard to manage all of this that makes it super straightforward, simple to get backup, simple to deploy. You don't have to be an expert, but if you are, you can dig under the hood just a little bit and get access to all of the tools. I really like that about Linode, and I think you will too. I appreciate them supporting projects, and I appreciate them supporting this show. So show them a little love. Go to linode.com slash LAN. Get that $100 60-day credit and support the show. It's a great way to say thanks to Linode for sponsoring Linux Action News. That's linode.com slash LAN.
1: In local Linux news this week, System76 has finally started revealing some details about their custom
0: keyboard they've been teasing us about. Full keyboard hype mode begins, Wes. I I now have a new appreciation for how geeky people are about keyboards after we restarted the Coda Radio program, and I'm kind of I'm kind of down. I think System seventy six could nail this. It appears they're going to call it the launch. So it's a System seventy six launch configurable keyboard, and they say it'll be the quote ultimate user controlled keyboard experience. And it's open source down to the PCB and mechanical design. The firmware will also be open source. It'll be manufactured out of milled aluminum using two solid blocks of aluminum and then a powder-coated finish. And the keyboard also supports a detachable lift bar, a customizable layout, swappable keycaps. And even the switches can be swapped out with any MX-compatible footprint. As for connectivity, well, you can
1: connect via USB-C or USB-A, and you'll find two of each of those ports on the keyboard. The keyboard firmware supports independent RGB lighting to create your own RGB LED patterns, and all the software and firmware is open source. Even better, firmware updates can be obtained by our favorite FWAPD,
0: and the design files, well, they're also open. So I think I see a couple of positive developments out of this. I mean, obviously, number one there is that they're working upstream with the Linux vendor firmware service. That's really cool to see. But think about it, Wes. If you're going to build a machine, if you're going to build a full computer and you've never built a laptop before, you've never built something that complicated, isn't it a bit of a brilliant strategy to start with a keyboard? Because not only do you have to nail that and you learn so much, but that is a product that... Anyone can buy. They don't have to be an existing System76 customer, and it's an obvious upsell to any future System76 machine. You'll see every configuration page going forward have the optional System76 launch keyboard. Yeah, it fits
1: very nicely in their arsenal. It's an easy way to get started out with the brand if you're interested in that. And it's just a great way for them to flex their manufacturing muscles, go through the process one more time. I mean, you know, the Thaleo is still new in many ways. So this should help refine those processes. I know they've learned a lot already, and I'm sure they'll learn even more with this.
0: Yeah. And and of course the Thaleo is is beautiful. They I'm sure they figured a lot, but they're still shipping a another another manufacturer's motherboard and main boards, whereas they are building this one here. And uh, when they get to build the whole thing from the ground up, what we see is a lot of our boxes are checked. I mean, the way we're even finding out about this really is because it's on GitHub and we can just see the information. <laughs> and that is pretty telling on how I think they're going to run this thing. I like the potential here. Of course, I'm a, you know, I'm a big fan of System76. They've been a sponsor on this show, obviously. But I think this is an indication of how serious they're taking open Linux hardware. And this is a long journey they're going to have to go down to build these things. But this is a super important step. And it's not even something Apple got right for a long time. So it's brilliant they're starting here. And uh, I know for you, it's going to mean you can finally get your RGB game on. Finally, I was just waiting for a keyboard that supported Rust. Also in the local section this week, it looks like AMD is hiring more than a few engineers. And Perhaps this is thanks in part to their increasing sales in the enterprise and the high-performance area where Linux is very successful for them. And they've been pretty good lately at delivering reliable Linux support, but there is some notable room for improvement that we've touched on and uh, others like Michael Larble at Pharonix have touched on. And perhaps there is some, some more staffing that could be done to actually improve that stuff well. Seems that's the direction AMD is going, because based on recent job postings, it seems that AMD is trying to make strides in several areas. AMD is looking for a manager to oversee all
1: their Linux kernel and virtualization development. The manager will oversee the engineers working on designing, implementing, and testing the Linux features for AMD CPUs.
0: Hmm. Hmm. (laughs) I like the sound of that, Wes. Also, this next one, Linux Technical Lead. The uh, engineering lead will have a workload that includes coordinating with OEM partners and Tier 1 Linux distributions around new features and components. I don't know what they consider a Tier 1 Linux distribution, but this was an area with the 6000 series that they specifically got some feedback. Hey, it'd be great if you worked with a few more distros to help get support on day one shipping. It sounds like this role, this technical lead, will do just that, working with, quote, Tier 1 Linux distributions, which is really probably going to be what a lot of the derivatives are based off of. So that will have a trickle-down effect of some sorts, excuse the term. But on top of that, it seems that they're also going to attempt to keep partners and distributions up to date with future AMD developments and Linux support. And if none of that sounds like it's up your alley, well, maybe the fact that they're
1: also hiring for Linux engineering and systems architect roles and a whole bunch of other traditional software
0: and hardware engineering might be more your cup of tea. And credit to Michael Larberle, he noted something I think is worth discussing here. He says that a lot of these new job descriptions begin with a very key phrase, and that is, quote, step up to a new organization built to engage more strategically and deeply with technical teams of our commercial customers. Now, he says what's interesting about that is he only sees those opening lines on their current Linux job postings, not on other organizational job openings right now, which kind of implies, I think, Wes, that there's a, a bit of a restructuring in AMD to to kind of institutionalize and sustainably develop and support Linux.
1: Ah, uh, that would be nice to see. I mean, clearly Linux has a lot of support going for AMD. There's a, more and more of a partnership with graphics drivers taking up a huge amount of the kernel these days. That's got to be a good sign. One other piece that really caught my eye is that there are a number of firmware engineering job openings Mentioning Coreboot, including some noting, this role enables Coreboot technology on AMD products. Hmm, maybe more Coreboot support
0: coming soon. And one last note about uh, AMD stuff here and the Linux 5.11 release, which is coming out this week. That 5.11 release has initial enablement for the new Ryzen 5000 series laptops, which are due this quarter So if you get a brand new Ryzen 5000 laptop in the next few weeks, be sure you're running a distro that has Linux 5.11 or later on there. Or maybe you won't be running Linux at all on that shiny new hardware because Google
1: has been developing Fuchsia, an operating system that is distinctly not based on Linux. The latest proposal for Fuchsia shows just how this not Linux operating system might get the ability to run unmodified programs intended
0: for both Linux and Android. And I don't think we're too surprised that they're going to try to get application compatibility. What we are surprised by in this announcement, or at least this proposal, is that Fuchsia is going to accomplish it differently than we expected. If you look at Chrome OS today, they're using a project called Arc VM to run Android applications unmodified on Chrome OS. And I think a lot of people suspected it'd be some kind of Google Linux virtual machine that would bring compatibility to Fuchsia. And we've gotten these indications along the way that perhaps Fuchsia is going to be an Android replacement. And so that's why we we kind of assumed they would solve this problem. But it doesn't seem they're going to do it with a VM, Wes.
1: No, this week we learned in a proposal that there's an alternative solution available for Fuchsia to run programs meant for Android and Linux. Instead of actually running a whole darn Linux kernel, Fuchsia would gain a system called Starnix, which would act as a translator between instructions for the Linux kernel
0: and instructions for Fuchsia's Zircon kernel. It's not wine. Don't call it an emulator. Uh, but uh, it's, it's uh, kind of detailed in this proposal what they sort of see the use case for. Uh, for example, they say Android applications contain native code modules that have been compiled for Linux. In order to run this software on Fuchsia, we need to be able to run binaries without modifying them. For example we will run low-level test binaries from Android source tree as well as binaries from the Linux test project. This says to me that we might be seeing Google
1: trying to get Fuchsia to have deep support for Android apps, right? Sometimes, you know, a lot of times even, it's just a whole bunch of Java. But if you're doing stuff, maybe targeting some machine learning API, something a little more performance-intensive or just custom, you could be shipping some C or C++ code in there. And of course... You're going to need support
0: for a different OS. Yeah, it's worth reading the link in the show notes, linuxactionnews.com slash 176. Because if you read the whole thing, I think you just inevitably walk away with the sense that they are clearly going after Android and potentially this is what they're going to run on their servers too. But all that said, this Starnik stuff is only a proposal right now there is a significant amount of work needing to be done to get anything resembling proper compatibility here. And it's potentially possible that they may still end up just solving this with a VM. Right.
1: We have that technology. And it's interesting. I mean, this is a common approach. FreeBSD has an emulation layer available for, for Linux. And WSL1 sort of took this approach. But, of course, they ultimately went back to virtualization with WSL2. I think a lot of it will depend on just how different Fuchsia and Zircon are and how much of a mess it is to actually make that translation happen.
0: Linux.ting.com. New year, new plans, same great service. I've been a Ting customer forever, and I can tell you with confidence, now is the best time ever to join Ting. It's new, refreshed plans, but still everything you love about them. If you use 2 gigs or 20 gigs a month, there is a perfect Ting plan for you. They have multiple carriers to choose from. I'm currently on a mix of AT&T and Verizon. I can actually change it up. This is great. And there's no need to worry about any weird bills or contracts because Ting gives you the freedom of no contracts ever. And when people refer you to Ting, the first thing they're always gonna mention is the crazy low bills. That's like the number one thing people love about Ting. But number two on that list is their top-rated customer support. Nobody in the mobile business does support like Ting. And sometimes it really matters. One time I was stuck out in North Dakota, parked in a parking lot, a gravel parking lot, stuck with a no data MiFi. And the Ting rep worked worked with me for two hours, While we got everything troubleshot and brought to resolution. They went way above and beyond anything they needed to do. And now Ting customers can choose from different mobile plans that are based on your specific data needs. And it's super, super simple to switch to Ting. Pretty much any phone works because they have so many networks that they support. Just start by going to linux.ting.com. Support this show and get $25 of Ting credit you can buy You can buy your SIM. I don't know what you're going to do with that. Maybe you're going to pay for your first month because average Ting bill is less than $25. I don't know. But you make the decision when you go to linux.ting.com. You can pick up a phone or bring your own. Just check your compatibility. It's super simple to do. Perhaps you just need a new SIM. Ting will send you one, you pop it into your phone, and you get activated in minutes. Cutting your phone bill in half has never been easier with Ting's new plans. The next generation of Ting Mobile is here. And see how much you could save by going to linux.ting.com. If you are on Wi-Fi and you can sync your music and your podcasts, that small little tweak will blow your mind how much you can save. Why pay more for the same networks when you can use them and save by going to linux.ting.com. And a big thank you to Ting for sponsoring this episode of Linux Action News. linux.ting.com. We're going to finish up this week with a few
1: items we think might be worth your time after the show, and what we're calling homework. And the first is the story about a 24-year-old kernel bug
0: was finally found. This is a tale. It is a journey. We'll have it linked at linuxactionnews.com slash 176. The chief information officer at a commerce platform in Greece called Scrouts made really quite the discovery. And it is well-detailed.
1: We won't go into too many details just here, but they thought they'd found a bug in our but oh no, turned out to be so much more.
0: We also have a little SSH homework for you. No, not the show, the actual SSH. Uh, you, you probably are familiar, at least roughly, with SSH tunnels. Well, we've seen a visual guide going around the internet this week that we think is pretty keen, and uh, we wanted you kids to have it, so we put a link for it in the show notes.
1: It is a great way to learn and understand how these very handy SSH tunnels really work and all the different things you can do with them.
0: And your last item in the links this week for you to follow up on if you'd like is if you have some time to burn at least, the Fosdom 2021 videos from their virtual event are starting to pop up online now.
1: And if you do check those out and spot something you think we should cover in one of those videos, be sure to let us know on our contact page.
0: Indeed. Also check out linuxactionnews.com slash subscribe for all the ways to get new episodes. And linuxactionnews.com slash contact for that contact page I mentioned. Jupiter Broadcasting's first swag item in more than two years has launched, and it is called The Coder. Thecoder.shop. Look and feel comfortable while kicking ass. Life is better in a Coder radio robe.
1: We'll be back next Monday with our weekly take on the latest Linux and open source news.
0: Thanks for joining us and we will see you next week.